so I got like second uh, pick out of the litter and I made sure that she was gonna fix them <laughs> after that whole situation she was like yeah I'm not doing this again that's for sure <laughs> but they had like there was kids around and they had the backyard and they had a really good good upbringing and I picked him because his eyes were furthest apart and they were <laughs> really cute just this little peanut head with like eyes on the side of his skull <laughs> Welcome back to Telltale Dog, the podcast. I'm your host, certified dog trainer, Elizabeth Silverstein. And I have with me today, Messina Kakezi, owner of Q&A Dog Training, which is based out of Vancouver, Canada. Her previous experiences include working as a dog walker and as a doggy daycare attendant. And she's currently enrolled in the Academy for Dog Trainers two-year program. Hi, Messina. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing all right. What's the weather like up there? It it actually just started snowing. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. In Vancouver, it snows maybe like one week out of the year, and then it stays maybe for like three days, and it's all just like slushy rain. So that's what we're dealing um, with right now. <laughs> okay. So you won't have a white Christmas? Probably not. No. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm in Arkansas, so we probably won't have one either. Yeah. <laughs> thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks for being willing to do this. I know that you, like me, you're a little bit newer to owning a business and, and be, basically being in the industry. So I'm glad that you're, you're willing to do it and have the conversation with me. I think it's, I think it's helpful for people. I think so. I, I kind of wish I had that <laughs> like there's, there's, there's resources, but they're kind of tricky to find. And Currently, I'm in the mentorship collective by Bravo Dogs, and that's been really helpful. Just having like a you know people to fall back onto, and also know that people are going through the same ups and downs as me. <laughs> and owning a business is is hard, but it's it's worth it. And I I wouldn't want to be doing anything anything else at the moment. Well, what first got you started and interested in dogs, or maybe animals? If dogs weren't the first animal that you were you fell in love with. Dogs were. I grew up having pugs. My gra- my grandparents raised me, and we had they had about three pugs before I was born, and then we had two when I was little. So I loved pugs, and I would like train them. <laughs> Air quotes. <laughs> <laughs> and I grew up with chickens and just like fifteen cats running around on like three acres of land. So I love animals, and you know I have always been interested in just how dogs learn and behavior and after not going into makeup and fashion all of that then I was like oh I'm gonna walk dogs and so I found a great company here in Vancouver and I was working with them for about four years and there's only so far I could go in that company with walking dogs so I decided that I wanted to go to school and learn more and help humans understand their dogs better and it's a ongoing journey (laughs) of of there's just so much so much for us to learn 
um, and to pick through the right courses as well. So it takes time and I've learned to just kind of slow down and be on my own journey and try not to hear the outside noises of other people and where they're at and did that answer your question <laughs> yeah no it did um yeah because we had we had definitely we have some parallels in our journeys because i started off as a dog walker working a doggy daycare i don't think i did the doggy daycare as long as you did and then I didn't do it for that long okay it's, it was like yeah or something. it's it was <laughs> it was a wild one <laughs> yeah Yes, I, I hear you, but you, and I'm, I'm curious to see if this has been your experience. So I had people with some perceptions of me working at a doggy daycare, and then I had some perceptions of people, uh, people had of me as a dog walker, including one that's pretty persistent when, when people are like, my dog doesn't walk on a leash people. And they're, they're kind of polling the social media world for advice on that. People are like, oh, your dog walker should be able to do that. And there's really a disconnect there and a misunderstanding of what dog walkers do and what trainers do and the skill level. Because for, for dog walking, and I think a lot of dog walkers really care and love animals, but they don't have, unless they've had some previous experience, to be a dog walker, you don't have any training to walk dogs. Yeah, very true. And I, being a dog walker for so long, I now, per- I, I think that everyone should do some kind of mini course. There's no like, it's like, oh, you you like dogs? You have some weight on you. You can, you know, manage six leashes at a time. Cool. Like let's throw you in kind of. So I, yeah, I I think there should be some kind of structure around that for dog walkers where they get some training and yeah, it's definitely, there's differences. And there were a lot of times as a dog walker, people, oh, can you you, like train my dog? I'm like, I'm not qualified to do that. I don't, I don't know. This was before I went to school. So what made you, so what was that turning point for you when you're like, I want to continue with this and find a school? What was that journey for you? I was walking for four plus ish years and it was hard on my body. First of all, I was kind of just burnt out and the main reason was there's just a lot of driving. <laughs> We're not walking the whole time. We're driving a lot. So there's that, but also just, just wanting to like seeing all these different dogs with obviously different personalities coming in and different issues as well. And me, I just wanted to learn more about how to help these dogs in their certain certain areas. So I found a school located in Vancouver, force free, awesome, just a a shorter uh, half year course. And that was a good foundation kind of start for me. And then I, I kind of went back to dog walking. And then I decided right when the pandemic hit to quit and open up my own business so that's been it's been a year now and it's been definitely some some flows some good and but um now I'm feeling pretty there's a lot more to do and a lot more to learn but I'm feeling pretty like grounded and secure and motivated I'm also ready for this holiday break (laughs) for to kind of recharge and focus again but uh yeah at the end of January then I officially start at the academy for dog trainers which is pretty exciting I got offered the BIPOC scholarship that they put out a couple months ago 
so that's going to be a journey in itself, but I'm extremely excited to just like dive a lot deeper and just really soak it, soak it all in. So I know, I know from experience, it's very, very challenging to not only find a dog trainer position, but find a dog trainer position with someone that has methods that you want to learn from. Was that the driving force behind starting your own business? Or what was that transition there from like dog walker to my own thing, which is, it's a lot. It's a lot to start a business. It is a lot. I kind of was also at the point that I was just overworking for anybody. And I reached out here and there for kind of mentorship but it didn't really pan out so yeah and I kind of after school I I I knew that I didn't want to work for anybody I was like I I want to be my own boss and I'm gonna do it (laughs) and here we are that was just yeah I think just running my own show was a big driving force for that it's and everybody does everything differently, which is why it's really interesting. It's not regulated in the United States, and it sounds like um, Canada has no regulation either. No, no, it is not. It is a very interesting industry that I've gotten myself into. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It's, <laughs> you know, it's, it's really rewarding, and I do love it. And there's nothing else I want to be doing right now in this moment in my life. But it's just there's a lot there's there's a lot and I don't really I don't know too much about the balanced world and that side I just kind of you know I don't I don't really know anyone in that world but it it I find it wild that we spend so much of our money on on the actual science-based education and our courses and you know conferences and all that and at some times we are like struggling with like marketing ourselves and I have no market marketing background. Like that's been a real thing, but referrals have been picking up and that's a lot of word of mouth, which is great. But then there's like the other side of the balance world. I think they spend all their money on marketing and that's how they kind of real, real, reel their clients in. So it, it can be hard like we're us against them in a sense. I feel like that. Yeah, I think so. I, I see it a lot here and it's very, very interesting. The way I look at it is if people don't want me to help them, I can't help them. But if people are open to it, I'm happy to have a conversation and to provide information. I, I'm trying to be the trainer that young Elizabeth could have used is how I look at it. And if that resonates with people, great. But a, a large part of what I do is just trying to figure out what what would have made like young Elizabeth really excited to see and learn and how can I offer that to people. I'm still figuring out how to interact with all of that world and what my place is in it and where to take feelings if something, if a big feeling happens, because it does feel really overwhelming to wake up and realize I'm kind of in a in a marketing methods war and I don't want to be here, but I don't have any choice, but to be mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also like this industry doesn't have a lot of 
people of color and I'm pretty sure I'm the only black dog trainer in Vancouver. So I, I, you know, I'd like to, I'd like other young people of color to see me and be like, oh, okay, sweet. Like she can do it. I can do it. And I'm, I'm still figuring out how to do it. <laughs> um, but I, I'd like to be that, that representation. I think that's amazing. And yeah, absolutely needed. There's a lot of elements too, because we talked about methods, but there's also a lot of sexism and racism in our industry. And there are, I mean, I get comments just from random people on the street when I'm doing a training walk where they're like, who's walking who? And I'm like, I am obviously walking the dog. Your point. Um, <laughs> so it can become a big, it can become, it can feel really overwhelming. And I can only imagine, you know, the extra part of that being a person of color of what you have to deal with. So not only being a woman, but having to deal with a lot of racism. Yeah. You know, yeah. And I, 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 my cue, he's a, he's a pit bull black lab and there's been numerous comments where I'm just walking my dog and like, there'll be, you know, like, Oh, your dog even acts black. It's like, what, what does that even mean? <laughs> or like, oh, like, is your dog as mean looking as you? Like, I'm sorry, I'm just minding my own business about to walk across the street. Like, don't touch my dog. And then they come in to touch my dog. And it's like, what are you? Ah. <laughs> yeah, there's, it's, <laughs> I mean, Vancouver is obviously Canada. We definitely have issues with racism deep rooted on a different in a sense than America. It's maybe not as in your face mm-hmm. here, but it's here. Lots of microaggressions. And, you know, I live in a predominantly white city, like a predominantly white neighborhood. So it can feel like I'm, you know, the black sheep a lot of the time. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah. How do you take that and kind of in dealing with the reality of your situation and bring that to your business? Are there certain policies that you have? Are there certain ways you interact with people? Have you found that it's impacted your business? I don't find like it's impacted my business negatively. I'm also still trying to kind of find my niche market, which has been a little bit difficult, just finding the people that are obviously we all as trainers all want people to do the things (laughs) it's a lot easier said but yeah also I myself like I'm I'm a pretty outgoing personal person so to find people that are also that I also vibe with if that makes sense is Mm -hmm. you know I'm slowly getting there I'm finding more of those people because referrals and you know, one person that I work with, that's awesome. And they refer their friend and so on and so on the ripple effect. How did you land so firmly on, Mm. you know, welfare-based fear-free? Yeah, that's a good question. (laughs) There was no question really. It was just like, that's the way I'm going to do it. There's no room for any kind of physical or punishment or anything like that and you know growing up just with animals and dogs and it was always I don't know there was just no question to go that way like 
prong collars, shot collars, that kind of whole thing scares me. And anytime I see any kind of anything before being um, a dog walker, any kind of leash jerks or anything that puts any kind of strain on a, on an animal, like I'm just super appalled that I'm, I'm not, yeah, it's, it was, there was just no, no question on that. It was like, I'm doing it force free. Like that's for me personally. And I mean, that's not to say like what, like I, I, did I will admit I did do an alpha roll once with a which breaks my heart but with a um a dog that I fostered and silly me brought him into the dog park and the thing happened and then I alpha rolled him and then we left and I look back at that like what like that's just <laughs> there's still so much action going around while this poor dog is on its side and you're like you must chill it's like it's yeah so I, I'm not I'm not perfect I think sometimes when we're when we're tr- we're striving to be a voice in an industry and we're seeing all that goes wrong and how people do things it can it can be very tempting to be hard on yourself for the mistakes you made but making mistakes is human it's very very human and I still think about a lesson from like I think it was a lesson in 2019 I think it was 2019 where I I set the dog up for failure and it did result in the bite of a child and it's one of the things that I will never forget and the child's fine it didn't break the skin but it never should have happened it just yeah, never should have happened and I'll always think about those mistakes and how that just changed all of my policies and how much I I'm just like unapologetic in a lot of things now and I'm not going to put anybody, the dog or another person at risk ever again. So those things happen. And I think in our field, we're going to be harder on ourselves than anybody else. Um, But I don't think that's what we're talking about. We're not, we're not talking about mistakes or mess ups or, you know, hard lessons. We're talking about like the big differences is like someone's like muscling a dog or forcing a dog to do what they want the dog to do in a way that's not even just starting with some basic communication and understanding. I feel like those are the, those are completely separate things, but I don't think, I don't, I don't think there's any trainers who do what we do. That's like, I never make mistakes. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) we learn from our mistakes, you know, when you better. (laughs) Yes. I just interviewed Karen London last week and I brought this up with her too. Shirag Patel just posted a video on his Instagram of walking into a thorn bush. (laughs) It's it's not like I'm not laughing at him being in pain or like making the mistake, but it's just so delightful to me that he would reveal it and show it and just show the humanity behind it. We are in a field where where it's very cult-like, it's very spiritual. There are people who set themselves up for um, cult of personality. And I think the best thing that we can do is continue to humanize ourselves as experts in our field and to be honest about the mistakes. So Shirag Patel is a greatly accomplished person who's done a lot for our industry. He speaks at conferences. He's wonderful. And he still was like, here, here's a little boo-boo I did. <laughs> and, and it's okay. Yeah, no, and I, I, I love seeing that too, where you're just honest and you're like, well, I, that, or like the dog didn't do it. So we're just going to like reset and, you know, it's not, no one's perfect and everyone's learning. So yes. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And we're all pretty much growing together. And that's a, that's a big thing. I did a whole series on embarrassment, you know, for this, for my content. Cause I want, when dog owners come to me, I don't want them to be afraid that I'm going to be like, how dare you do this? It's like, oh, let's get started on that journey together. Yeah, totally. 
And you mentioned your pup and his name was Q. Is that right? Yes. He's almost five. He'll be five in July. Yeah. He, he gets mistaken sometimes for a chocolate lab or a Chesapeake because he kind of has the curly, a little bit wavier fur. But yeah, he's a black lab pity, red nose, and he's awesome. Uh-huh. <laughs> Port Alberni when he was about like eight weeks old. Okay. So you've had him for a while. Yeah. Yeah. I would have gone some shit together. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> my my schnauzer, my miniature schnauzer is nine. He's gonna be 10 next year. And same, yeah, lots of informative years together. <laughs> yeah, definitely. They're like our little little uh therapy dogs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what made you pick him? How'd you find him? I actually put a blast out on Facebook just saying, is there anyone that knows any pit mixes, puppies? And an uh, acquaintance of mine, she was like, oh yeah, I actually have a friend who just so happens to have two dogs and they were both young and not uh, fixed and accidentally got together and had a litter. So I got like second... Uh, pick out of the litter and I made sure that she was gonna fix them <laughs> after that whole situation she was like yeah I'm not doing this again that's for sure <laughs> but they had like there was kids around and they had the backyard and they had a really good good upbringing and I picked him because his eyes were furthest apart and they were <laughs> really cute just this little peanut head with like eyes on the side of his skull <laughs> So you were looking for, intentionally looking for pit mixes. What was this, the decision behind that? I have always loved pit bull type dogs. Um, I just find them super loving and goofy. And, and then I also, I fostered this pit or staffy for a few months way back when before Q and he was so great. Just not for me, not, not an apartment dog. Um, so I found him a really loving family, but he kind of, I think, set, set the ground to like solidify. Like I was like, all right, this is, I want, I want one of you guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and they, you know, they have such a horrible, horrible rap. We, there's, there's quite a few pit bulls in Vancouver, um, but there's still, you know, certain, certain like apartment buildings and stuff that don't allow them. And there's obviously people out there that can be quite rude and just by the look of your dog, call your dog aggressive. And, but yeah, they're, they're my breed. <laughs> so what are some of the, um, the misconceptions that you feel are happening about pit bulls? That they are all bred to attack. <laughs> like for instance, a family member, I told him that I have a pit bull mix and he was like oh like he's going to attack you one day I'm like what no <laughs> yeah there's and just even like Q he can be very vocal when he plays and um he's a sweet sweet guy but yeah just vocal like a dog and there's people that kind of come up to me with their small dog and they're holding their small dog and they just look at me and they're like your dog is really aggressive and I'm like okay first of all don't throw that word around <laughs> yeah that's serious <laughs> Like that's, and even when clients are like, oh, he has like, he's being aggressive. And I'm like, 
let's like rewind for a second and really, you know, language, of course, in our industry really matters. So aggressive and reactive are a little bit different. So yeah, saying that that someone or someone's dog is aggressive has a lot of weight. Mm -hmm. Um, And also like I've been told that a few times with this guy and it hurts and it's heavy and it's like, oh, and then you're like, is my dog aggressive? Like, Mm -hmm. I know he's not aggressive, but you know, for dog owners out there that hear that time and time again, and they're really working hard or they're struggling and, and then people, you know, are just out of nowhere because their dog is being a dog, say something and that can really get you really hurt you. Yeah. I was, when I first moved here and I realized that breed specific legislation was happening here and I learned more about it. I was just, I was shocked because maybe a quarter, a full quarter of the dogs I worked with on the farm where I learned how to train were pit bulls and never any, there, none of them had any inclination towards attacking people. The dogs I thought were going to bite me on that farm were like hounds mm-hmm. <laughs> or herding dogs. I was like, no. Um, but I, I understand the fears that people have. And that's why education is so important to me because I'm like, well, let's talk about it and get you information that's like scientifically backed and factual because confirmation bias is such a huge aspect of our field. And people say, well, I saw this and this was my fear. So therefore it means this. And it's like, actually completely. Opposite. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the, that's, you know, that's the, the problem, I guess, with just the internet and so so much information and YouTube and like I'm sure you get this too but countless times you have we I have clients so I you know I was doing you know trying to look at all the videos on YouTube but then I just finally decided to reach out to you or reach out to a a positive for fear-free trainer it's like thank you great let's not go on Google anymore I'll just send you all the resources yes 100 percent. and i'll that i'll use that as a joke to break the ice because i'm like it's a nightmare on the internet and they're like yeah yeah (laughs) yeah yeah there's there's a lot of different takeaways and uh a lot of them aren't the best yes yeah because it goes back to your, your original point you mentioned like certain people having such a huge budget and with that budget you can get the best seo you can get your your ranking up high you can get all these views on youtube whereas the stuff that is actually helpful to people gets super buried or you're not sure how to find it mm-hmm. a lot of times i'll throw um, certification letters behind what I'm Googling so that I can find an author with that certification. And Mm -hmm. the common dog owner wouldn't even know how to do that or where to start. Yeah. And then like, of course, the the certification world, and that's a whole other, (laughs) a whole other conversation. (laughs) I think it gets with certifications. There's a lot of people just don't look for them and know to look for them. And that, that's where the um, old school balance trainers come in. They're like, oh, here, this is my beautiful marketing. And mm-hmm. they may call themselves positive reinforcement, but then they also might slap on a choke chain. Or- yeah, yeah. There's there's so much nuance in our industry. And then as you've probably been seeing, there's a lot of conversations happening around licensing and certification at the moment and you know trying to have people are trying to have those conversations about you know who who's gatekeeping there there is a lot of like don't do this don't use that blah 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 cool but 
we were talking about like let's maybe like be what should people do <laughs> and like not so much highlight what not to do let's highlight what to do what to use where to go search for certain things yeah and social media man but i've just <laughs> it's it's a whole other factor with the business and i think that that is a big that's what's probably burning me out like i'm not there and i'm making sure that that doesn't like happen but i've definitely i've taken a step back from instagram instagram's like my main my main platform i've just yeah i've just kind of taken a step back with constantly having something something to to put like just it just feels like i don't know like i'm still doing my work i'm still i'm still here i just might not be posting it on social media <laughs> so i don't know yeah instagram's been a little bit funny for me i took a step back and i do feel better because of it i'm just not so focused and like oh i gotta figure out something to post in the next couple days or you know how are you sorting through what you feel your responsibilities are as an educator and dog trainer in your area? I'm just trying to like get as many resources under my belt um, and information and articles that I can send to my clients along with everything else that I'm coaching them on. That's kind of where I'm at at the moment. I'm kind of just, yeah, focusing on the clients that I have at the moment and you know I'm of course trying to spread the word of of force free whenever I can but I'm not like actively doing like I don't know certain mm. things if that makes sense it does yeah well it was really wonderful talking with you Messina was there anything else that you wanted to add I don't think so this was great this was my first podcast so I would love to be back one day. <laughs> yes. And let me, if there's things, so what I try to do is, so uh, is look for things in your social media. And if you've kind of taken a step back from social media, I can't get my finger on the pulse of that. But if there's things that really you're passionate about and you really want to delve into, you can always let me know. I'd love to have you back on. It was great, you know, discussing pities with you and kind of your experience there. So if there's anything else that you're like, let's dissect that, I would be happy to do that. So if maybe that's awesome. not like tools or training methods or what have you. Sweet. Messina, where can people find you if they're looking for more of your content? You can find me at www.qandadogtraining.com. And my Instagram is q.a.dogtraining. All right. I'm going to do the sign off. And then at the very end, I've got one final question for you. This has been Telltale Dog, the podcast with your host, Elizabeth Silverstein. That's me, certified dog trainer in Central Arkansas. And my guest today, Messina Kakezi, the owner of Q&A Dog Training. Music has been provided by Jim Chiago of 7 Second Chance. Find more of his work on iTunes and Spotify. And stick around for after the music for some final advice from Messina. Messina, before we sign off completely, I know we touched on a lot of different things when it comes to our industry and being a dog trainer, 
But if there's someone out there listening and trying to figure out if they want to become a dog trainer, what advice do you have for them? Do your thorough research on all the course options that are out there and schools and really figure out which one you want to put your money and time into and start there. Get a base foundation and work your way out. And if you have opportunities to take care of friends and family's dogs, do it. Just immerse yourself in the dog world the best of you can in your city or in your town. But education and knowledge is key. So that comes first.